4: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: The Vice President has said, Mike Pence has said, no, he's not going to pull the plug on the, uh, whatever the metaphor is, on the 25th Amendment. It ain't going to happen, so that means that it's up to Congress. Articles of impeachment are in preparation or have been prepared. There is a a slight parliamentary procedure that congress has to go through it takes a day or two for all this stuff to work its way through the system and i I realize that can be very frustrating particularly when mr crazy has his finger on the nuclear trigger but that's what it is we'll see how this shakes out mike pence has said no Uh, the impeachment is up we'll see what happens Just remind you, the phone number for Congress, if you want to encourage your Congress critter, Republican or Democrat. In fact, I think probably it's more important for Republicans to hear from us than Democrats. But, you know, yesterday people were calling and saying they were literally just going through and calling every single member of, of the Senate and as many members of the House as they possibly could. The telephone number for the switchboard on Capitol Hill, which will route you and they will route you to whichever member of Congress you want. And if you don't know their name, if you don't, for example, if you're not sure who represents you in the House of Representatives, just say, hey, here's my zip code. And they can tell you. Typically, that's how it works. I don't know. Maybe they'll be real busy today, but typically that's how it works. If you're not sure who represents who your two senators are from your state, unless you live in D.C., of course, when you have no senators, which is particularly weird. I mean, this is why D.C. was unable to protect itself and why the Capitol was not protected was because Donald Trump issued a stand-down order, essentially, to the National Guard, said, you may not provide the Capitol police with assistance, with reconnaissance, with weapons, or yourselves. You may not go. Muriel Bowser, the mayor, who should be the governor of the District of Columbia, I mean, there's more people in D.C. than there are in Wyoming or Vermont. She should have been able to send soldiers in, troops in, police in, whatever. She couldn't. So anyhow, that that needs to be taken care of. But bottom line is that Mike Pence says no. And now we have, this is a letter that Justin, you know, Justin Frank is a regular guest on our program. He's a psychiatrist in Washington, D.C., professor of psychiatry, in fact, at George Washington University. And he wrote this letter to Mike Pence uh, and sent it just a few minutes ago. He said, Dear Vice President Mike Pence, we submit the following recommendations for immediate psychiatric evaluation of Donald J. Trump. The president's actions in the past few days indicate that he is unfit to serve. In the coming hours, he is likely to suffer progressive deterioration of his mental state and impulse control as the reality of his election loss and the suspension from social media deprive him of contact with his supporters. He has already shown himself on January 6th to be a danger to others. Hospitalization will prevent Mr. Trump from harming himself and or others, or from directing another episode of group violence while preserving his dignity and that of his office. Please contact all or one or all of us for more clinical details. This is signed by Justin Frank, uh, MD, uh, and presumably by his colleagues, by colleagues of his. Uh, Good on you. In fact, you can tweet Justin. uh, You can tweet Dr. Frank at Justin at Justin Frank MD if you want to, you know, give him a at a boy. But uh, I think the big point that I want to make today, and I made this in my in my daily rant over on medium.com this morning or tomhartman.medium.com is that it's the brutality, it's the fascism. People, people are looking at the situation right now and going, wow, look at what happened on Wednesday in the Capitol. That was our peak fascism moment. We're pulling back from that, we're withdrawing from that. No, we are not. That was not peak fascism. That was just a bump in the road. And these guys are continuing down this road. That was an opportunity for Donald Trump more than half, 57% of the Republican caucus in Congress, in the House and Senate, and their followers, their fascist followers, to find out what the consequences would be of trying to overthrow the government of the United States. And what they found out so far is that, hey, it's not even as bad as getting busted for drunk driving. As these guys were marching through the inside of the Capitol building, chanting, hang Mike Pence. This was their chant. And they had set up a gallows outside the Capitol building. And there were guys with zip ties that police use for handcuffs, looking for Mike Pence, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi explicitly. This is just mind boggling. Jim Borg is a reporter for Reuters and he said, I heard at least three different rioters at the Capitol say that they hoped to find Vice President Mike Pence and execute him by hanging him from a Capitol Hill tree as a traitor. It was a common line being repeated. Many more were just talking about how the VP should be executed. That's a reporter, a writer, photographer for Reuters. Capitol Hill reporter Andrew Feinberg said the rioters were looking for Pence, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. A Trump supporter who spoke to local CBS 17 TV, local TV in Washington, D.C., said, quote, people got news on their phone that Mike Pence said he's not going to object to these seven states, that he's going to accept the Electoral College that promotes President-elect Joe Biden, she said. That's when everybody got really upset, and that's when they started storming. So did this come through the parlor app? Did it come through a text message? We've got video now. It's up at the very top of the Drudge Report right now of the Trump family partying as the riot is about to begin. And Don Jr. going, Hey, guys, thanks so much. Let's get out there and fight. Yeah. Meanwhile, as I point out in my piece on Medium.com this morning, the hallmark of fascism is brutality. Brutality and violence. Representative Susan Wilde, Represents Pennsylvania's 7th. And she went on CBS News and said that there were three to four hundred people locked in one single room in the Capitol. They were so close together, it was impossible to social distance. You couldn't stay six feet away from people. And she said about half of the people in the room were not wearing masks. Even though they'd been offered surgical masks, they refused to wear them. Some of the newer Republican members were openly flaunting that they refused to wear a mask. Another member of Congress noted that some of the older Democratic members were literally begging Republicans to wear masks because they didn't want to die. And the Republicans were laughing at them. That's the kind of brutality that tells you you are now in full fascism. Tom Hartman here with you. So we have a precedent for senators being expelled from the United States Senate. It happened in 1861, starting in uh, July of 1861. We have a precedent for presidents being impeached, and in fact, even for Donald Trump being impeached. Ted Lieu and friends have now drawn formal articles of impeachment against Donald Trump in the House of Representatives. There are several different articles of impeachment that I've seen floating around, but the Democrats need to coalesce around one set of articles of impeachment. Nancy Pelosi needs to bring it to the House. If she needs a Judiciary Committee vote, do it virtually. Needs to bring it to the floor of the House and have an up or down vote on it and get that thing out so that Trump is impeached. And then it goes to the Senate. And during that time, he loses the pardon power. This is probably the most important part of this. And the Senate, Mitch McConnell can, you know, if he doesn't think that he's got enough votes to remove Trump, if there's enough Republicans who are willing to go down with the ship, as it were, well, you know, Mitch can procrastinate until January 20th, which means all that time Trump would no longer have pardon power. Now, again, this hasn't been adjudicated by the Supreme Court. But I think it's fairly clear. It's certainly clear to me, having read James Madison's notes on the daily debates in Independence Hall in Philadelphia in the summer of 1787. It is so clear. I mean, there was a whole exception to the pardon clause because they were concerned that, you know, what happens if you've got a corrupt president and he's trying to to pardon his collaborators in the crime that Congress is trying to impeach him for? The two things are tied together. At least they were in the minds of the men who wrote this thing. Oh, gee, it's just, and then on Fox News last night, Louise and I popped over two or three times to check out what was going on on Fox News. And in every single case, now I don't know if this was their coverage all night long, because in aggregate, I doubt we watched more than 10 minutes of Fox News. But what I was seeing, part of the shows of a couple of peers of mine, you know, old radio people who now have shows on Fox News, was essentially, oh, it's not so bad, and, oh, the liberals made them do it, and, uh, oh, maybe it's uh, actually Antifa. And uh, and by the way, there is no such thing as Antifa. Antifa is a word that means a person who's opposed to fascism. It's a contraction of anti-fascist. It's not an organization. There is is no, you can't mail a letter to Antifa. There is no post box. But this is where we're at. This is where we're at, sadly, right now. Our senator, Jeff Merkley, has posted pictures of his office and his Senate office being trashed. I mean, this is is crazy stuff. This is flat-out crazy stuff. By the way, one of the apparently One of the Republican members who refused to wear a mask while they were in lockdown in the the House of Representatives was Jake LaTurner, Republican from Kansas. He's a newly elected member. Yesterday, he announced that he has tested positive for COVID-19. Brilliant. Brilliant. This is not peak fascism. This is a test. And it's happening all over the country, by the way. You know, we had our state house here in Oregon. We had a Republican member let the gangs into the Capitol building. It's it's happened in in at least a dozen states where the capitals are being, or at least a half a dozen that I know where the capitals were under assault on Wednesday. And from what I'm reading on Twitter and from what I'm hearing people are reading on Parler, this was a dress rehearsal for the 20th. And if that's true, then, you know, get ready, get ready. Let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Mark in Atwood, Kansas. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind?
5: Is there any other course of action that the Congress can take to take away power from Trump? I know in Kansas, we've got a pretty devout QAnon following and they're viewing impeachment or the 25th amendment as his final action is Q to take more retaliatory action on the government. I guess that's concerning to me that they're viewing yesterday as just the start, not the end. So what are your thoughts? I'll take off air. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Mark. My thoughts generally go to the larger issue of who is promoting these kind of conspiracy theories and why. I'm increasingly thinking the people who are driving this process. I mean, you know, the whole QAnon thing started out as a joke, right? It started out with this this uh, strange little guy. And I say little because he's he's very short and he's in a wheelchair and he lives in the Philippines. And he's an American, but he lives in the Philippines. And he kind of tossed this thing out and it just started growing from there, right? And, you know, it started as a joke essentially and it has become a thing. And I'm thinking that there are foreign governments involving themselves in this, that are just cranking this stuff. We know that there are foreign governments that have been messing, using social media, principally Facebook. Facebook is the main vehicle for all of this. It's been happening in Europe. It was happening in France. It's been happening in what well, the whole Brexit thing, was largely driven by Facebook stuff. And, and it turns out that a lot of that was coming from outside the country. Much of it from Russia, but, but also from other countries as well. And so, A, I don't much care what they think because they're going to turn whatever happens into more fodder for their fantasy world in which they live. So, you know, there's nothing that you can do that's going to cause them to wake up or change anything. It's like, you know, don't even bother. But number two, I think we need to do what's best for the country. We have a I was going to say a crazy man, but I mean, this goes way beyond that. We have a man who is a threat, you know, a nuclear war could sterilize the planet. Nuclear winter would repeat what happened that wiped out the dinosaurs. Some 80, 90% of all life on earth, certainly anything bigger than a dog dies. And the guy in the White House right now has the potential, has the ability to invoke that, to produce that, to bring that about. And I think we need to take this very seriously, and I think we need to be very concerned about it. And in my mind, that means they need to be impeached. Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's up?
5: When will Ossoff and Warnock be seated? And then can Mitch McConnell block that? I've heard he can refuse to seat them, but I hope
3: not. Thank you. Yeah, he can refuse to seat them. He will not, I guarantee you. And I don't know what the date is that they get seated. That's one of those bits of minutia that I've not come across and I need to be keeping my eye out for because I just don't know the answer. But the bottom line is Mitch McConnell is going to have the Senate firmly in control until January 20th. And I'm guessing that they will have been sworn in before January 20th. It would surprise me if they weren't. But that would have to do with the Georgia law with regard to that special election. And it may be different, by the way, for Warnock and Ossoff, because Kelly Loeffler had been an appointee and her term expired, in I think, a different way than or maybe it didn't. I'm not sure. You know, we'd have to go back and look at the Georgia law. So, Brian, I'm sorry, I don't have a, a clear, crisp answer for you on that. But keep our eyes open and I'll report back to you as soon as I figure it out. As far as I can tell, by the way, my explanation of the 25th Amendment is more or less accurate. John in Fruitland, Idaho. Hey, John, what's on your mind? I
6: think that the way uh, things have evolved, that anybody that receives a nomination for their parties as a candidate for president, I think should have to have a complete, comprehensive psychiatric evaluation. And I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that, but to me, I think what we're seeing now is, and it shouldn't maybe just apply to the president. I think the way things are right now, maybe it should apply to a few of our lawmakers and
3: Well, that's what elections are supposed to do, John. I mean, here's the problem, and this is the place where I find myself in agreement with some people on the the right, although I don't think this should be a left-right issue, frankly, and that is if you pass a law that says that anybody who wants to run for office has to qualify themselves by passing a psychological exam, the power to enforce that law is given to the executive branch so right now if that was the case donald trump would decide which psychiatrist is going to interview joe biden to determine whether he can legally run for president do you really want that uh, no suddenly sure. it becomes problematic there is such a thing as too much government power in <laughs> fact you know we, we've seen it all around the world and we've seen it here and so i i really think that this is our job this is the job of the voters it's the job of the media, too, and the media's been falling down on this, and that's a whole other you know, can of worms, but this is our job. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two ends. Or enter the code HARTMAN, the two Ns, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two ends, or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
2: This
3: is the Tom Hartman Program. It's talk media for the sane among us. And yes, our ranks are growing. Joel in Athens, Georgia. Hey, Joel, what's on your mind today? I
7: have not heard one mention by the legal analysts on any channel about Trump's exposure to felony murder charges. I'm a retired Criminal defense lawyer, and I have defended my share of felony murder charges. And before I say any further, I just want to note that one defense that would be available to Trump would be the insanity defense. Anybody who aids. How would you organize the charge, Joel? The law here in Georgia is that anybody aids, vets, and uh, commits any act in furtherance of the commission of a felony is guilty of felony murder, which is guilty of murder. Now, there are a lot of counts that could be brought against Trump, Giuliani, Trump Jr. Because what they did was clearly, was meant to incite this riot. I don't see why it would be so hard to prove those things, but but what I'm concerned about is I haven't mentioned felony murder, I haven't heard mention felony murder, reports I've had on his exposure to criminal liability.
3: Joel, is felony murder, forgive me, I'm not a lawyer, is felony murder when somebody, when a murder is committed in the commission of a felony, even though you're not the murderer, is it's like, you know, five guys rob a bank, one of them shoots the guard dead, but all five of them are now guilty of felony murder. Is that what you're talking about?
7: Yes, even including the driver of the car who never goes in the bank.
3: Right, so they're all guilty of felony murder. So we've had six, five or six murders now, or deaths, uh, several of them yes. apparently murders. In the U.S. Capitol, right. as the right. consequence well, you know, of uh, of a felony, the breaking into the Capitol that was incited by Trump and his son, and you're suggesting that they can therefore be held equally culpable, responsible for those deaths. Is that the essence of what you're saying, Joel?
7: Exactly. Uh, but, uh, who would know, bring it, those it charges? It doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that nobody actually killed those people who died of medical emergencies. What matters is that they died during the commission of a felony, you know. Right. Well, we've got a police officer. Neither here nor there, but you've got plenty on Trump, plenty on the the police officer. who.
3: But this is all federal property. Yes. And therefore, isn't the only agency that would have jurisdiction, the Department of Justice, wouldn't this be up to the FBI and the attorney general to bring charges against these folks? Yes, it would be. Do you think that might be why the acting attorney general day before yesterday said that he is not stopping an investigation into Trump's role in this?
7: That's exactly what I took that to mean, that he is going Hmm. to look at all potential charges against all potential actors, that he was implicit in that, saying that, including felony murder against Trump.
3: Remarkable. Remarkable. Joel, thank you. Thank you for contributing to the conversation and, and bringing your legal expertise to it. I appreciate it. It's great to hear from you. Thank you very much. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
5: Yeah, I just wanted to assert my argument for why the fifth columnist senators like Holly and Cruz have any uh, defense When they're removed from office, the normal defense would be, well, we're just exercising our legislative function and we have legislative immunity and that sort of thing. However, when they keep saying in total disregard for all the evidence that there's been to date, including the 60-odd court cases and the statement by the Trump attorney general, that there was no widespread fraud, they say, well, there are people out there that have doubt about that. And uh, so we just suspend the Constitution for a while while we get together this commission to uh, satisfy these people. And that completely ignores the fact that these people believe all this rubbish because they are lied to by Donald Trump. And the Constitution... And Josh Hawley
3: and Ted Cruz, yes.
5: Right and uh, the Constitution would never come back into effect until Donald Donald Trump started telling the truth. And when has that ever been known to occur?
3: It's never happened in
5: my lifetime. Oh, by the way, on the uh, business about impeachment and when in case of impeachment applies and uh, pardons are not Mm -hmm. permitted, I think that can only reasonably be from the moment that the articles are filed through to a resolution of the case or removal from office? Because otherwise, what would be the purpose of it?
3: Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, the person who reached out to me yesterday and said it's not during time of impeachment, it's in case of impeachment, said that there are some who suggest that what that means is that the president can't pardon somebody who has been impeached. I'm not sure that's what it means, but the the fact of the matter is nobody's sure what it means because it's never been adjudicated by the Supreme Court and under the doctrine of judicial supremacy, which we have been living under since 1803, until the Supreme Court says this is what the Constitution means, it's relatively ambiguous. So the thing that I could see playing out, Mike, would be they file articles of impeachment against him in the House of Representatives. They get voted and they get passed. So he's now been officially impeached in the House. He goes to the Senate. During that time, Trump issues a massive pardon for his friends, his family, and maybe even for everybody, all the insurrectionists and traitors who showed up at the Capitol building. At that point, somebody sues saying, no, you can't do that, presumably a member of Congress on behalf of Congress, at the Supreme Court, which has original jurisdiction in disputes among branches. And then the Supreme Court decides you know, whether they could decide really quickly, I mean, you would think that they can. That's my guess, Mike, as to how it would have to play out.
5: Well, there we have to go into the arguments before the court, and central to that would be, if they put this provision in, why did they put it in? And I think it's because- And that that takes us back to Madison's notes. Otherwise, you can get Roger Stone pardoned or some other accessory pardoned so that they cannot be compelled to testify and convict on right.
3: an impeachment. Right. I'm with you. And I'd, you know, I'd have to go back and pull up my copy of Madison's notes on the convention. I thought it was fairly clear that what they were talking about was uh, preventing a president from pardoning his co-conspirators. Chris Mina? Am
2: I saying that right? In Durango, Colorado? Yes. Hi, Tom. I caught your interview the other day with Dr. Justin Frank regarding his book, Trump on the Couch, and I Mm -hmm. found that very fascinating and makes so much sense about why so many people are devoted to this disturbed person. I'm not hearing on any other programs, and that's why I'm calling your program, to get some exposure to the fact that there is a method to remove a person. Who from society who is a danger to himself or to others. In California, it's called a 5150. And uh, this Uh is a method, a legal method, through which a person may be put under 72-hour observation in a safe location. And this would quickly remove him, you know, from... Making some more problems. Also, yeah, um, it, it has. An it, it, hang on just a second,
3: Chris Mina. Pretty much every state has those kind of laws. there are for the public safety to protect, you know, society and family members from a person who's just snapped, somebody who might be yes. homicidal or suicidal or whatever. But typically, yes. they require direct family member intervention and physician intervention. The physicians, Donald Trump's physicians work for the Navy, and therefore they work for him. He's the commander in chief. They're not going to buck him. And there's no way that Melania is going to sign off on this. So I don't see it happening.
2: There's no exception to the fact that the global population is at risk as well?
3: Well, you could argue that this would have to be done under the Washington, D.C. version of California's Section 5150, and neither one of us knows mm-hmm. what the details of that are. But I would say that the 25th Amendment is really the governing power here, or impeachment. Those are really the only two solutions that we have, and, mm-hmm. and, and I we've did. got to look at these.
2: Okay, so that's our only option at this point, nothing quicker.
3: That's it. And I agree with your point, Krishmina and Justin Frank, Dr. Justin Frank, Justin Frank, M.D. on Twitter. I agree with his point. Trump is a danger to himself and others. Tom in Long Island. Hey, Tom, what's up?
5: Tom, something you said before I disagreed with. Caller said that uh, when would the two Georgia senators be seated? And you thought that Mitch McConnell would do it right away, given the option. But wouldn't that cause a problem if the 25th Amendment keeps coming up and Mike Pence does become the president, he would no longer be president of the Senate. And wouldn't that give, would Mitch McConnell now have a disadvantage if those two Democrats were seated?
3: No, because first of all, when they're seated, I believe is going to be governed by Georgia law. That was my point. So I don't know when they're going to be seated. 1st you've got to have Raffensperger certify the election in Georgia, and I don't think the election has even been certified yet. Or if it has, it's been you know, it's fairly recent, but I don't know what the Georgia law is or when it's going to happen. But secondly, if Vice President Pence becomes President Pence because Donald Trump has been removed, if it's on a temporary basis using the 25th Amendment, I don't know what happens with replacing him in that number two position. Because the president has been essentially, I don't know how that would play out. I don't know if there's time enough for that to play out. You know, for him to say, you know, to do a Jerry Ford thing, you know, like Nixon said, okay, I'm bringing in Jerry Ford, and then Nixon leaves, and Jerry Ford becomes president when he was never even elected to anything except the House of Representatives from Grand Rapids. But I don't think that it's going to be, I don't think that, that would be an issue, Tom. I, I, I just don't see how it becomes an issue. But thanks for the question. It's a good question. Jeff in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Jeff, what's up?
4: I feel like impeachment is our best solution right now, in just so imperative And I've been calling the hotline since you gave that number out, and I've left four messages so far, two with Colorado representatives, one with New Mexico, and one with Oklahoma, places. all places I've lived. But I'm going to keep calling, and I think everybody should – Call every representative yeah. and, and senator, and just pour the pressure on them. Just flood it, say, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you.
3: And the phone number. Okay. And the phone number. Get a pen and get ready to write this down. The phone number to call the Senate switchboard, or it's it's actually the Capitol switchboard. So you can ask for a senator or a member of the House of representatives. If you're not sure who represents you, just say, Hey, I'm calling from Iowa. Who's my senators? Or Hey, I'm you know my zip code is uh, you know nine seven three five five. Who's my representative? And they will tell you. And they will then connect you with the with the office. That phone number is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. I'm guessing most of the operators are probably working from home right now, but they seem to be answering the phones just fine. So, uh, and they do compile the information and the calls, and they do pass the calls directly to the offices of those members of Congress. So, good on you, Jeff. Was there a question there, or did you just want to report?
4: no no that was it you can call anybody though you don't just have to call your representative you can call you get an opportunity they say what state say x state and and you get an opportunity to leave a message so they're
3: representing all of us so call all of them is my view and i
5: just yeah that's yeah
3: thank you so much i share your opinion although although i'm telling you that when you call if i were to call either of my two senators wyden or Merkley. And the first words out of my mouth were, hi, my name is Tom Hartman, and I live in Oregon, because they're my Oregon senators. Mm-hmm. Whatever I have to say, they're gonna, the aide or the clerk or the p- person who is keeping track of the phone calls is going to put that in a different pile than if you called from Santa Fe. Because yeah, but I called Oklahoma, you know, their first job right? is to represent their constituents. But I agree with you. We should yeah. call everybody in sight. But don't, don't neglect to call your own two senators and your own member of the House of Representatives. That's my point. Okay, beautiful. Thank you so much, Tom. Okay. Have a great day. Yeah, Bye. thanks a lot. Great talking with you, Jeff. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, what's up?
8: For as far as the terms for, for senators, I mean, that Article 20 you know, begins, the terms of president and vice president shall end at noon on the 20th day of January. And the terms of senators and representatives at noon on the third day of January. It goes That's why they were sworn there. in on Sunday. But, but as far as I'm concerned, their term ended. I mean, their term should have ended because there was... Was kind of because of the vagaries of Georgia law, and having to having to have the runoff.
3: Oh, that's an interesting.
8: Essentially, it's, essentially it's, Georgia should have been unrepresented at that point in time because they did not have a elected senator. I mean that that's my Yeah, read
3: How of did US Kelly, Constitution. Loeffler, Kelly Loeffler Kelly Leffler stand up and speak on behalf of Georgia when she wasn't sworn into office on January third? What right, the hell was she doing that's,
8: there? That's how it should, it should have been. I mean that, and for Senator Tuberville from Alabama. This is probably a question on the citizenship test. The answer to it is so that the three branches of government are legislative, executive, and judicial. That uh, he wouldn't even pass a question. Yeah, answer pass a question uh, that's probably on the, the citizenship test. That. People who come immigrating to this yeah. country, we have to answer. I mean, it's just. Uh, yeah, Tommy, Tommy
3: Tupperville. You know, he's in a competition with Ron Johnson to be the stupidest member of the Senate. No other possible explanation. Spot on. Mark, thank you for the call. Larry in Blackfoot, Idaho. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind?
7: Well, I'm wondering maybe this is way out in left field, but do you think Trump and those senators that were going to argue or vote against challenge? Electoral College Boats, do you think they could be associated with the Proud Boys?
3: Well, as, as Michael Keaton said in a movie years and years ago, is a frog's ass watertight? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, yes, I think so. There. And not just that one particular group. There are now competing groups on the right. There are competing groups on the right who are trying to infiltrate law enforcement. There are competing groups on the right who want to be the guys who are the, the dirt kickers out on the streets. There are competing you know, groups on the right. Sometimes it's hard to tell the teams you know, without the uniforms or without the scorecards. But yeah, and that's, that's frankly a problem, Larry, is it just like with the Tea Party. You know, the Tea Party was a completely astroturf thing you know, put together by the Koch network. And it was treated by the national media as if it was a huge national movement, when in fact it was a relatively small tail that was wagging this giant dog of the Republican Party through the media. And the same is true, in my opinion, of these right-wing groups. Larry, thanks for the call.
4: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: Ed in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Ed, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. What's up?
4: I'm listening to all these reports from the people in Congress and their staff all having to do a lockdown. It reminds me of what our school children have had to do for the past several decades. Maybe this is a wake-up call for Congress that maybe they should pay attention to how Second Amendment rights have been perhaps a little too loose, a little too easy for lunatics and crazy people to walk around with guns in our country.
3: Yeah. (laughs) It it certainly does cause one to think that at least, uh, you know, semi-automatic or potentially fully automatic weapons, uh, well, assault weapons, let's just call them that. I don't think that that's a conversation that anybody's going to want to have right now, Ed. I think this well, is more about the immediate maybe, maybe,
4: uh, maybe Congress will, uh, maybe Congress, this experience will wake him up to the concept that perhaps it is time to enforce laws that when it says you don't carry in Washington, D.C., that's what it means, and enforce it.
3: Mayor Bowser is all about that. And uh, if you didn't catch your press conference this morning, I'm sure it's on social media someplace. It's really worth watching. Ed, thanks for the call. Richard in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Richard, what's up?
4: Well, good morning, Tom. Happy New Year, isn't it? Interesting about Elaine Chow. Quite expecting that. I thought she was going to wait till the 20th so,
3: so she could file for unemployment. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's, she's only worth a few hundred million dollars. She really needs it. <laughs> well, you know you know how they are.
4: About this situation stemming from yesterday, it's not surprising that this happened. It's been brewing towards this for days, weeks, months, and really an entire generation. So. This is not over. It's not going to take a long time. It's going to take generations, perhaps, to go ahead and deal with this. But in the meantime, Mr. Trump, if he he doesn't have any grace, he should resign. That's what, what an honorable person would do. But he's not going to do that. And he can't do that because he still needs to go ahead and pardon more people. He needs to go ahead and set up the remainder of his payoffs, and he needs to set up his exit flight.
3: He may have already set that up, you know, that airport in Scotland has been told to be on alert for the president's plane arriving on the 19th. The the prime minister or the first minister of Scotland has come out and said that she doesn't want him there. That's right. But I think he's just going to, if he goes there, he's just going to go there to change planes and go to some country that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the United States.
4: Perhaps, perhaps. uh there will be a nice place for him in Russia. He's
3: been one of their uh, best promoters over these past four years and more. Yeah, I would put Russia and Saudi Arabia at the top of the list of places where Donald Trump may well go if he needs a hidey hole. There's probably other countries as well. Richard, thank you for the call. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees' distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. Coming up on The Science Revolution is Dr. Edwin C. May for an in-depth interview on how the federal government used ESP to spy on foreign governments. In brief, the U.S. military and intelligence communities funded a 20-year program to collect intelligence during the Cold War by using so-called psychics. Did it work? Was it successful? What happened and what can we learn from it? Dr. Edwin C. May also talks about the broader implications of ESP and psychics. Tune into The Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. So in uh, January of 1861, Jefferson Davis, senator from Virginia, I believe, got up and gave a speech now, this was before the secession had happened, had been completed. It was at the beginning of the stages of secession. Now, he was speaking to Mississippi's argument that they wanted to secede from the Union because Abraham Lincoln wanted to end slavery. Mississippi has heard proclaimed the theory that all men are created free and equal, and that this is the basis of an attack upon our institutions. The sacred declaration of independence has been invoked to maintain the position of the equality of the races. But it makes no reference to the slave. And then he goes on into this long rant about this. The newspapers at the time noted the audience wept openly and gave him rapturous applause. But then in July, when the Senate reconvened, they said, OK, that's it. I've had enough. This is from the Stanford Advocate, a newspaper op-ed by Gillian Brockwell. When the senate reconvened in july the remaining members had had enough senator daniel clark of new hampshire proposed a resolution to expel 10 senators on the grounds that they were quote engaged in a conspiracy for the destruction of the union and government or with full knowledge of such conspiracy have failed to advise the government of its progress or aid in its suppression and they expelled the two senators from arkansas they expelled the two senators from north carolina They expelled the two senators from Texas. They expelled the two senators from Virginia. Plus they expelled Senator Chestnut of South Carolina and Senator Nicholson of Tennessee. And then uh, four months later, they expelled four more, including Breckenridge of Kentucky. It's time for the Senate to take seriously what Josh Hawley did yesterday. Lita in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Lita, what's up?
1: Hello, Uh, my question is regarding the enforcement of the 25th Amendment. Because the 25th Amendment requires a majority of the cabinet. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, the sequence is first the vice president declares it. Then a majority of the cabinet votes yes. At that point, the president is considered to be temporarily without power. Then it goes to, and I'd have to look up the 25th Amendment to see if it goes to the House and Senator just to the House. I think it just goes to the House. And they make a decision, basically, as I recall.
1: Yeah, but my question is: There are so many. Are are there enough confirmed cabinet members to even make that possible? The second step possible, because there are so many. That's a good question.
3: But the twenty-fifth amendment just simply says a majority, a majority of the vote.
1: it doesn't say whether they they are confirmed it's
3: assumed that they are confirmed that's correct and a, and i'm looking through it right now to see if the word quorum exists anywhere here although a quorum whenever the vice president a majority and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as congress may by law provide which it has not so it would have to be the executive departments which is the cabinet transmit to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the duties. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office's acting president. Thereafter, when the president transmits to the Speaker pro tem, this would be now Mike Pence sending to the Speaker pro tem of the Senate and the House his written declaration that no inability exists. He shall resume. Okay, so Pence has to declare he's good, if the Congress, within 21 days after the receipt of the latter declaration, determines by two-thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to discharge the powers, the vice president shall continue. So it's a two-thirds vote of both the House and Senate. I'm sorry I didn't have that right at the top of my my brain later. <laughs> but it's 21-day provision means that basically what could happen right now, if I'm reading this right, and and I'm not an authority on the 25th Amendment, but it certainly, I mean, I just read the plain language of it to you on the air here. It appears that... If Pence were to get a majority, a simple majority of the cabinet members, to say, "Okay, Trump is out of here. He's incapacitated," he notifies the Speaker of the House and the and the Senate and the and the President Pro Tem of the Senate, which is the which would otherwise be the Vice President, but it, it, this would be the temporary President of the Senate, which I think is Chuck Grassley. He notifies them, and they have 21 days to react. And during that period of time, the President is not is not in power unless Congress meets and overturns that. So if I'm understanding this correctly, and if there's anybody who's a real 25th Amendment scholar who who has dug deep into this stuff in the past, you know, let me know if I'm missing anything here. But it seems like it wouldn't even require a vote of Congress if that's the case, because the vice president and the cabinet have this 21-day Period. But I'm going to reread it carefully and I'll come back on the other side.
1: It's just the acting versus confirmed is where my hitch in the giddy up is.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that 21-day window. I don't think that the 25th Amendment was written so much to deal with this kind of situation. I think that what they were doing is they were looking back at the stroke that Woodrow Wilson had, the stroke that Franklin Roosevelt had, Jack Kennedy being shot. Eisenhower had a heart attack and he was out for a while. Nixon ran the government. Nobody even knew it until after the fact. That's the kind of stuff that they were trying to deal with. And by the way, the number for the House and Senate, 202-224-3121. Let them know what you think.
4: You're listening to Tom
3: Hartman. Trudy in Gurney, Illinois. Hey Trudy, what's on your mind?
1: NPR posted that Derek Evans, a newly elected member of the West Virginia House of Delegates was seen in a video as part of the group that stormed the Capitol. The uh, video has since been taken down, but other media users copied it and posted it. And there's even audio of people yelling, we're in, we're in, Derek Evans is in the Capitol. So wh- what can happen to him? Doesn't he need to be held accountable he for can be, this?
3: He can be expelled. He was elected to the West Virginia legislature, but he showed up in the U.S. Yes. Capitol for the riot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's going to be up to the Republicans in West Virginia, but this has got to be, if nothing else, a severe embarrassment for them. It's remarkable. Trudy, thank you for the heads up on that. Grace in Seattle. Hey, Grace, what's on your mind?
1: What are your thoughts on the Republican Party splitting in two between the QAnon crazies and the more classic, normal Republicans who maybe are just fearful of leftism and socialism?
3: I think it's already happened. We're seeing it played out in real time. Ever since 1980, when the Republican Party basically became the party that was just all about money, and it's all about big corporations and billionaires, they had to build a coalition of people who would vote for them who didn't care about money or billionaires. Because there aren't enough billionaires or people who want corporations to make more profits to propel a national party to an election. So they reached out to the white racists. This was Nixon's Southern strategy back in the, in sixty-eight. They reached out to the white racists that Lyndon Johnson had discarded. In the nineteen uh, eighties they reached out to the gun nuts, which was just then an emerging group, basically. You know, I mean, you know, in nineteen seventy-four the NRA was just a sportsman's club, literally. I mean, they you know, none of this stuff. But then the weapons manufacturers got behind it and they created this whole thing. Then they reached out to the anti-abortion people, even though Reagan and Bush, Reagan had signed pro-abortion legislation in California, been very proud of it, and George Herbert Walker Bush as Vice President had been on Planned Parenthood. I believe he was on their board. If he wasn't on their board, he was a huge supporter, as was his wife, Barbara, publicly. Got into bed with the anti-abortion freaks and brought them into the party. They got into bed with the anti-gay freaks, the anti-LGBTQ freaks, and brought them into the party. They keep having to add to their coalition of the crazy, basically, in order to win elections. And they're now down to the point where in some parts of the country, they can't win elections without the conspiracy nut freaks. In those parts of the country where Republicans can still win elections just based on hate and fear of black people and brown people, you know, hate and fear of gay and, and you know, non, non-cis, you know, non-binary people, to the extent that they can do that, it, what you're gonna see is basically the business Republican party and the crazy Republican Party. And they're gonna try and have it both ways. They've been successfully having it both ways for four solid years now, and really for the better part of 12 years since Barack Obama was elected. That was really when all this craziness began. When a whole bunch of white Republicans said, oh my God, there's a black man in our White House. You can't, That that's not supposed to be. I don't think this is going to go away, Grace, because the party needs these people or they need to effectively suppress the votes of everybody else, which you know, is why they're all screaming about voter fraud. They're trying to get back to just being the party of voter suppression rather than the party of having to embrace the crazies. You know, none of this bodes well for the future of the Republican Party, in my humble opinion. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind today?
6: Well, Tom, generally, I want to just uh, raise a very cautionary flag here and there not to overreact to things. But before I mention that, I just want to, you know, I very much support this impeachment thing because this will we need to memorialize Republican Trumpsters into the future. So I'm all in with this impeachment. Yep. The red flags I'm talking about so that we don't overreact is I'm deeply troubled by two things that have happened here. One is that Zuckerberg is now censoring a U.S. president. Now, I don't like Trump, but I'd censor him myself personally, okay? But I argue that this could be a slippery slope because Zuckerberg and other. Of those social media outlets can start to uh, feel good about censoring our voices next. That's really troubling to me. And uh, number two, I'm a very proud 9/11 truthful world peace activist and and the um, Soviet whistleblower for air traffic controllers on uh, on 9/11. And there's such a haunting parallel for the events on 9-11 and then yesterday. And that parallel is the amount of massive information that was available that this event was going to happen, very similar to 9-11, and there was no preparation for either one of them. It's terribly, terribly troubling to me. And as you know, the Patriot Act, which was written before 9-11, was basically almost ushered into immediate action because of this knee-jerk reaction. So I'm just really asking the left to, uh, to really, really be thoughtful before you rush into being happy because we're giving Trump a bloody nose. And finally, Tom, kudos to the left for not showing up. Man, what a growth What a mature maturity growth Uh, it's just wonderful i'm so proud that the left just said well let's just not repeat
3: portland and seattle and all that kind of stuff that's really if they had had shown up the police would have gone after them (laughs) especially if there were black people among the left right i remember you know a, a few months ago when we were all protesting the murder of george floyd among others You know, there was a Black Lives Matter protest in Washington, D.C., and what did they do? The Capitol Police came out, and you you can see the pictures of it. They're they're all over the Internet. They were lined up all the way around the Capitol building on all the steps, you know, multiple cops deep with, with their riot shields and their, I mean, just ready for war. And then you had what a bunch of cops who were just wearing their regular street uniforms who were gonna deal with mob of thousands that had been whipped into a frenzy by Rudy Giuliani telling them that we have to go to battle, or words to that effect, I forget his exact phrase, and Donald Trump Jr. screaming obscenities to the extent that Fox News had to take him off the air. I mean, it's amazing, Robin. (laughs) Mark Taylor Canfield in Seattle. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today?
0: Well, first of all, I lost a couple of family members this year, so I take personal offense to Republicans and government refusing to wear masks. Flaunting your irresponsibility is not impressive to me. What's happening in Washington, D.C., which is it's now been reported that one of the five people who were killed, who lost their lives, was a police officer. I right. also wanted to let people know that Trump announced on Twitter this morning that he will not attend the inauguration of Joe Biden. Yesterday, I woke up to a press briefing by Mayor de Blasio and the mayor of Washington DC. And in those press briefings, the term fascism came up and the term terrorism came up. That's the situation we're dealing with. And I doubt that we've ever seen such crass disrespect for the office of president of the United States of America from a former office holder. And I don't know how anyone with even an ounce of self-respect right now, can remain a member of the Republican Party at a time when a thug like this is its leader. He's encouraged violence, and he's helped to usher in a fascist movement that threatens our democracy. And as executive director of Democracy Watch News, I must out against these attempts to subvert our democratic institutions. It is my job and it's the job of every journalist, reporter, editor, publisher to speak for freedom of the press, freedom of speech and democracy. And so we have to draw the line right here and cannot allow this kind of behavior by people in our government ever again, Tom. It's like worse than Nixon now. I can't believe what I'm seeing with my own eyes on a daily basis. It's mind-blowing.
3: This is something that, Mark, you and I and many others in the media have been warning about ever since 2015 when Donald Trump got into the primary. His race-based fascistic arguments for his own candidacy, including his inauguration speech where he talked about American carnage, this is something that we have seen before. We've seen it in the United States, in the Deep South, back prior to the Civil War, frankly following the Civil War, John C. Calhoun and friends. We've also seen it around the world. We saw it with the rise of Mussolini, of Hitler, of Franco and others, you know, in this hemisphere in Chile. We have seen that with Pinochet, we have seen this over and over and over again and have been trying to warn people for five years now. And I've been using the word fascist for five years now and suddenly everybody's like, oh really? Oh wow, well maybe, could be. When countries realize too late that they've got a fascist uprising on their hands, when they realize late in the game that they have a fascist uprising on their hands, more often than not, it's too late. And I'm just very, very hopeful it's not too late here and now, Mark, but it sure feels to me like it is. Mark Taylor, Canfield in Seattle. Mark, keep up the great work. Great talking with you. Thank you very much. Jack in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jack, what's up? Imagine my horror when... I'm
8: watching on Wednesday, and I see my former congressman in his Trump hat on the steps of the Capitol, screaming for the end of democracy. Who uh, is Rick this? Sir, Rick Cicone. Oh. He's the former congressman Lamb now. Connor Lamb holds that seat, mm-hmm. but uh, his predecessor, Rick Cicone. I was happy to see the next day he tried to walk back his stance, taken out of context, and, but uh, huh. he was fired from his professorship at St. Vincent's College
3: yesterday. So good.
8: that was good. Maybe that's how they knew their way around uh, the Capitol building,
3: because they had ex-Congress in the crowd giving them oh, the directions. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So. Jack, I sure hope that the FBI is all over this. And uh, I realize they may not be right now, but it, uh, another 13, 14 days down the road, I think it's going to be happening. Jack, thank you for the call. and okay. Thanks for the heads up on that. George in Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, George, what's up?
0: I watch all news programs. I don't like Fox News, but I watch them to see what the enemy's talking about. And there's The Five, that big show run by Greg Gutfield. And look on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, Greg Gutfield looked at the camera and said when Biden comes into office, he's coming after you, he hates you. And he looked at the camera and said he hates you. And to me, I don't understand how you can, it seems like instigating violence. I don't understand how you can do that.
3: I believe that's like yelling fire at a crowded theater. It really scared me. i No, I, really I believe you, George. Me. I mean, that's mild compared to some of the stuff that I've seen Tucker Carlson say and Sean Hannity say. Oh. These guys are, are so over the top. And what we're seeing right now is the fruit of it. This is uh, the predictable fruit of what they've been doing. George, thank you for the call. Dan in Denver. Hey, Dan, what's up? Here's a plan for the Democrats. They need to immediately
6: file articles of impeachment. And then they need to go to the friendliest court they can find and file for a temporary restraining order against Trump for any pardons. If they want they do to that, do
3: something like that, it would have to be done at the Supreme Court. The, uh, that's the only venue where that has jurisdiction and where they would have standing in a dispute between the branches, which is essentially what you're describing, Dan.
6: Right. Well, they should go ahead and do it anyway. I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah. They
3: are where they are now. Yeah.
6: And basically, if the Supreme Court... Take away the they nuclear then you get every individual and organization that is possibly has an interest, and you file hundreds of friends of the court briefs, and it would take them the 12 days left just to get through it in a
3: reasonable way. No, I, I think so it could be done in in much more quickly, but, but I, I think your suggestion is an excellent one, Dan, and I hope some Democrats are listening, elected members. Thank you. Kim in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Kim, what's up?
1: Local news. A
2: 36-year-old dude, father of five, wife is a doctor, lives in Parrish, Florida, which is is in Sarasota County, is the dude that was carrying Nancy Pelosi's podium around. <laughs> he has the not looter. been arrested. He has not been arrested. News went to his house. Of course, he didn't answer his door. His neighbors knocked on the door. He didn't answer the door. But anyway, it's just
1: an interesting factoid. He hasn't been That's arrested. Incredible.
3: Keep us up to date on it, Kim. Thank you. Corinne in uh, Minneapolis, uh, listening to AM 950. Hey, what's up?
1: I am very concerned that Trump needs to be removed immediately. And I'm very concerned that impeachment is going to take too long. So a couple of days ago, I put out all of the cabinet members' phone numbers to my indivisible group and said, Mm -hmm. call them and ask them to get with Pence on the 25th Amendment. Well, now we know that Pence is probably not going to cooperate with that. Definitely not going
3: to. Two of the cabinet members have resigned now.
1: Yes, right. Uh, probably probably to involved. avoid this sort of thing. But yeah. I um, this morning I put out another notice. Karen, I'm very sorry.
3: It's, I got to stop it there because it's the end, it's literally the end of the show, and the end of the week. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce The Hammer, Nance Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethergate, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Maki, and Jay Labonc. For all the work that you all do on helping get this program going and staying on the air. In addition to special thanks to all of our affiliates who are carrying this program, thank you. And thank you for listening and participating. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've
4: been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.